trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program and approved by all 50 state bars for IOLTA compliance, LawPay. You'll put a rifle in his hand and send him to Iraq to get his ass shot off. He should be able to do what he wants to do. You know, if you bring this dude into the army and you give him a gun and you call him a soldier, but then you still treat him like a kid, how are they supposed to feel? Have you ever thrown a snowball at someone? Or perhaps you swore loudly while driving. Maybe you spit on the sidewalk. Depending on when and where you did these things, you might have broken the law. But don't worry, you're probably not in any trouble. States and municipalities have all sorts of old, sometimes ridiculous laws that are often forgotten and almost never get enforced. More often than not, these laws are put in effect to reflect a religious outlook of what is and is not appropriate behavior. But sometimes, even without anyone getting into trouble, these old laws still cause problems. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and this is the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, where we explore some of the more unusual corners of the legal profession and the law. Columbus, Georgia, situated on the border of Georgia and Alabama, is well within what is commonly called the Bible Belt. One of the largest cities in Georgia, Columbus is also home to Fort Benning, a prominent military base and major training station for the U.S. Army. For a long time, Columbus has had a law on the books that reads in part that it's unlawful for any person to conduct the business of tattooing or marking or coloring the skin on Sunday or the Sabbath days. But when a major tattoo convention wanted to come to town on a Sunday, the city decided things needed to change. Being so close to Fort Benning, it should come as no surprise that, in spite of the law, Columbus has a vibrant tattoo community. Josh McMillan has been a tattoo artist for almost 30 years, having started when he was just a teenager. He grew up in Indiana, where, until recently, it was illegal for anyone other than medical doctors to give tattoos. I asked him if people's negative perceptions of tattoos were what drew him to the art. Absolutely. It's that whole kind of feel like you're doing wrong. <laughs> if that makes sense, like that whole outlaw vibe of it. Josh now lives in Columbus, Georgia, where he owns and operates New Revolution Tattoo. His parlor is within a short drive of Fort Benning, which trains many young soldiers for combat, including for elite combat forces. Located on Victory Drive and only a few minutes from the entrance to the base, many of his clients come from there. Josh thinks that the presence of the base played a role in the creation of the tattoo law. So a lot of the soldiers that are here are young. You know, I'm talking 18 to 21 make up probably half of Fort Benning. So it was all the kids, and I think they wanted them all to go to church instead of going to the tattoo studios. That's an interesting theory, but anecdotal. To get a more official view of the law's creation, I turned to Walker Garrett, a Columbus lawyer and the city council member who sponsored the law's repeal. I actually requested to see if there was any type of history that was out there that was public from the city attorney's office, and they found the ordinance, but they didn't find legislative history leading to why it would have gone into effect. But the most likely thing, since there were similar alcohol laws that went into effect during a similar time frame, would most likely have been that it was felt that this was an inappropriate activity on Sundays or against someone's religious beliefs. 
So we have an ordinance where we can only guess at its original intent by considering the era it was passed and maybe by recognizing the presence of a military base nearby. But what are we really talking about here? This is a blue law. You may have heard the term before, but maybe you don't know exactly what it means. Well, there's a good chance they've restricted something you want to do. Often known as Sunday laws, the regulations prohibit commerce on Sundays, when authors of the law thought people should be in church, rather than doing things like drinking alcohol, buying cars, and getting tattoos. These laws were popular in the 1950s, but they have a much longer history, dating back to at least the late 18th century. To get more information, I turned to an appellate lawyer who's also an expert of sorts on weird laws. Jonathan Amarillo is a partner with Taft, Titinius, and Hollister in Chicago, and he co-hosts At The Bar, a Chicago Bar Association podcast that includes a segment where guests are presented with three laws and guess which one is real. If anyone could give me a better understanding of blue laws and their history in general, I figured it would be Jonathan. Now, I had read somewhere that the blue laws were started by a minister in Connecticut, and they were called the blue laws because he printed them on blue paper. Is that correct, or is that just folklore? That is a very popular myth, or false etymology, I should say. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the blue designation is actually a disparaging reference to a strict moral code developed by the Puritans, particularly the followers of Oliver Cromwell, who used to wear blue stockings. So when people were talking about blue laws originally, blue laws was really a a critical term, right? It wasn't just a factual term because of the paper. It was like these dang blue laws is what it sounds like. That's exactly what it was. Yep. Huh. A lot of these laws were repealed in the past two decades, but some are still around, and they particularly seem to be lingering in the American South. So is it accurate to say, do you think, that in the South, that region of the country has been a little bit slower to come around to tattooing than maybe the coasts? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You know, and... You know, the South is full of old money and, you know, Baptists, and it's definitely been a process for, uh, you know, tattooing to be more accepted in the South than it was, you know, like I said, say on the West Coast. Georgia is known for taking Christian religion pretty seriously, so I wasn't surprised that cities there still have some blue laws. But as we produced this show, I found out that my preconceived notions weren't on point. Let's go back to Walker Garrett, the city council member who sponsored this law's repeal. I'm a deacon at First Baptist Church here in Columbus and uh, just involved in church leadership roles and and involved in the community, of course, with representing our church and uh, obviously trying to be uh, a good Christian to, to other folks in the community and be a good person. So how is it that this Baptist deacon, who sees his faith as a significant part of his life, became a proponent for removing laws built on Christianity. Walker says it all started in college. It's kind of interesting. I, I was a Sigma Phi Epsilon, and we, we were kind of known as being the leading edge of being progressive as far as the first fraternity to let in African Americans, the first fraternity to let in openly homosexual brothers, that type of thing. And I, I was selected. I was one of the first Southern college boys who was selected for this trip called the Tragos Quest to Greece, 
And we went to Greece with brothers from around the country. It was like 17 of us. And my first night there, they were me with a gay black guy from California who is extremely liberal. And we ended up becoming very good friends. And every night we debated and we discussed things and discussed ideas. And I would say, honestly, that's probably when I started starting to really think from what I would call our founder's perspective in terms of separation of church and state. Uh, I started to really change my viewpoints to look at things from an objective standpoint of, is this truly bad for society? Is there any real reason other than just pure moral standards or pure religious standards that, you know, we have these laws in existence? And I would say that's probably when I really started to change my viewpoints, both politically and morally, while not changing my own moral standards. But I would say that also helped, you know, enlighten the way I am now. Speaking with Jonathan again, it seems like Walker's experience fits the mold pretty well, and the repeals of these laws are a natural reflection of a changing society. Well, I think blue laws in particular tell us that our laws in the past were heavily influenced by religion, uh, and that they're less so these days. But I also think that that secularization speaks to a larger trend in diversification in the United States. There's, you know, one strain of thought that says that it's part of the homogenization of the United States, that different towns or different states can't have variously different laws. But when we're talking about blue laws in particular, because of their religious background, I think it shows an increasing acceptance of people with other beliefs and lifestyles and a realization that our laws shouldn't reflect our personal religious beliefs. As society becomes more complex and interconnected, people show us that they can't be labeled with just one thing. Yes, Walker is a Baptist deacon, but that's just one part of his story. He's also a strong believer in the separation of church and state. And based on that, he can't justify many Sunday laws, particularly given the real impacts they have. Tattoos have no impact on other members of society other than the person who is actually performing that. And you're also negatively affecting a private business owner who, if they're not religious, Sunday may be the day they want to work. And it is certainly not the government's place to impose a Sabbath requirement. And there's more than just an economic question. There's a moral one. Remember Josh's belief that the presence of Fort Benning nearby may have inspired this law? Well, if you ask him, that same proximity to Fort Benning is a reason to have it repealed. You'll put a rifle in his hand and send him to Iraq to get his ass shot off. He should be able to do what he wants to do. You know, if you bring this dude into the army and you give him a gun and you call him a soldier, but then you still treat him like a kid, how are they supposed to feel? We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll look at whether these laws hold up under the Constitution. Part of building a successful practice is finding the right payment partner. It's important to work with a processor that understands the complex rules for legal payments. LawPay is the only payment solution that ensures trust account compliance for both credit card and e-check transactions. Trust the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program and approved by all 50 state bars for IOLTA compliance. LawPay. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we heard from Walker and Josh about how these laws potentially harm business owners and how their overbearing nature offend locals like Josh. But are these laws also just not good laws? Do they exist in opposition to their principles embodied in the Constitution? 
I asked Jonathan to fill me in on how the Supreme Court has ruled on that question. Generally speaking, they're okay. The governing case is McGowan v. Maryland, 1961. And the question that the court took up there was whether a blue law, particularly a law that required large commercial stores in Maryland to be closed on Sundays, was a violation of the principle of the separation of church and state, or I suppose more precisely the First Amendment's Establishment Clause and the 14th Amendment's Due Process and Equal Protection Clauses. Interesting, the Free Exercise Clause didn't come up in the course of that case. And just as a little background, the Maryland shop law, its original purpose was to promote church attendance. But the legislative history of its more modern iteration stripped a lot of the religious language away. And the court, in considering that more modern iteration, said in a highly, highly fractured opinion that laws that coincide or harmonize with the tenets of some religions and even laws that have religious origins, i.e. blue laws, are not unconstitutional if they have a secular purpose. And there the court found that the Maryland law had the purpose of promoting what the court considered to be a healthful day of rest for all of the state's citizens, and so decided that the law was constitutional. And McGowan is still good law. It's distinguished here and there, but it's still on the books and it still governs. Now we know that the courts will often stand behind these laws, and it's up to the legislatures to repeal them. I wanted to know why this law, with so many other laws potentially on the books, why this law in particular would be the subject of repeal. Maybe it was because it was causing harm. I've never heard of one person ever getting in trouble for tattooing on Sunday. Or maybe it was because it had been forgotten and only just got attention. Well, we've all always known about it. You know, it's one of them, you know, no spitting on the sidewalk on Tuesday laws, you know. So why did Walker put his attention to this law now? The law prohibiting tattooing on Sundays came to my attention recently when the director of our our trade and convention center came to me and said, Walker, because we're both in the Rotary Club together, and she came at me and said, Walker, we've got a real issue. I have a very, very large conference that wants to come to Columbus, Georgia. It's going to bring a lot of business to Columbus, and it's going to be operating for the weekend. And it's a tattoo conference. I said, well, Haley, what's your problem? Uh, She explained to me that she had concerns that there's a law on the books and uh, that prohibits tattooing on Sundays. So when she came to me, I mean, it was a no-brainer. Fortunately, she came to me in enough time. We were able to get it passed before the convention was ever supposed to, uh, you know, come to Columbus. So as it often does... It comes down to money. A big convention is coming to town, promising business and tourism, and things get changed. Not that the law had ever financially harmed Joss's business. He's been more than happy to work on Sundays, even if it was technically prohibited by the law. Weekends are big for us. You know, Sunday is always our overflow days. You know, and the soldiers, especially the young ones, you know, they travel in packs. So when they come in your shop, they come in five or six, seven, eight at a time, you know, and they all want tattooed. So what you can't get Friday night, you roll over to Saturday and set them appointments. What you can't get Saturday, you roll them over to Sunday and set appointments. And, you know, I never really thought about it much, honestly, because it's just, I worked every Sunday and nobody ever said anything. And, you know, it was just one of those laws that was never enforced. And that lack of enforcement is important. Here's Jonathan Amarillo again with his take on the broader picture of these unenforced laws. How often do you think we're engaged in illegal activity without knowing about it? You know, that's a very good question, uh, and I don't know the answer to it. I could only say that 
it's probably only a problem if the police officer standing next to you knows it's a law also, and that's going to be a pretty rare instance. Oh, and Josh has a story about that. I had a police officer who was a client, and he would come every other Sunday because he wouldn't have his kids and he didn't have to work. So me and him actually talked about it, and he told me he had never heard of it because I, I you know, I just kind of made a joke to him one time. I'm like, you know, you're breaking the law right now, right? And he's like, what do you mean? And I told him about the law, and he's like, I didn't even know there you can tattoo on Sunday. And that's kind of the thing, right? That right there. Sure, there's economic incentives for repeal, and having a bunch of unenforced laws on the books isn't great, but the reality is that society has just left these laws behind. Tattoos, just as a microcosm of the larger issue, reflect the changing attitudes of our communities about certain behaviors. So, in the years that you've been a tattoo artist, have people's opinions changed about the tattoos, do you think? And are more, are more religious people perhaps getting tattoos now than once were? More people, period, are getting tattooed. And, it, you know, a lot of it has to do with the TV aspect of tattooing, tattooing shows. You know, first, you know, you had Miami Inc. and LA Inc. and London Inc. It showed the masses that, that you know, more than just your typical stereotype people are getting tattooed, you know, the whole, you know, bikers, sailors, hookers, prisoners thing, you know, that whole stigma that was on tattoos. If you had tattoos, then you were a bad guy. And really those shows really helped to change the public's opinion on tattooing. And sure, you, you know, I mean, I've tattooed lawyers, doctors, nurses. I tattooed a pastor one time. You know, it's definitely changed the outlook on tattooing and people's opinion. And that traditional conflict between Christianity and tattooing? According to Josh, that's mostly a thing of the past. And I'm curious today, because I could imagine that someone might go to church in the morning and then come in for a tattoo after lunch. Do you ever have clients like that? All the time. <laughs> Can't wait to get out of church, get to the tattoo shop. Columbus's repealed tattoo ordinance was a bit unusual. We couldn't find any similar laws still on the books. But blue laws are still pretty common in the United States. The alcohol prohibitions are by far the most common, as I said. And there are some that are also fairly common. The next most common I found was a law that prohibits car dealerships from being open on Sundays. And that's the law of, for example, Illinois, where we're sitting now. You cannot be open if you're a car dealership on Sunday? It's still on the books. Are they still open? I have no idea. Huh. Not a car owner. Wow. <laughs> I live in the city. Even if some of the blue laws may still have a few defenders, some just seem archaic or just plain weird. I always go back to um, a law from a little town in Arizona that prohibited putting donkeys in bathtubs. That, that's, that's, yeah. It was specific. Were you able to find out the story behind that or nobody knows? I was, actually. So there was a flash flood and a donkey was being bathed in a bathtub outside. And the bathtub was swept up along with the donkey and taken through the main street of town and did quite a bit of damage on the way. Now, I don't know why that's the donkey's fault. It seems to me that the bathtub would have done the damage anyway. Uh -huh. But that was the law they came up with. <laughs> wow. 
Cities of all sizes have laws like these on their books, from the small towns to cities like Columbus. And traditionally, due to a lack of awareness or a lack of enforcement, they just sit there. But society is changing. We're becoming more diverse in our viewpoint and interconnected with a broader society. We're actively seeking out and taking an interest in weird laws. Both BuzzFeed and Reader's Digest have web pieces about them, and so do hundreds of other media outlets. As a result, these laws are no longer so easily overlooked. It falls on us to reach out to the Walker Garretts of the world to help clean out these relics. Then we won't be concerned when a convention wants to come to town, when we want a mimosa at brunch, or when our donkeys just really need a bath. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and you've been listening to the AVA Journal's Asked and Answered. Next time, we'll explore whether you can hire a robot lawyer with the push of a button. And if so, is it a good idea? Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app, or share your thoughts or ideas with us on Twitter at ABA Journal, or my own handle at SFW70 Roman numeral 2. The ABA Journal's Asked and Answered is a joint production by the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network. This episode was produced by Evan DeSherry and me. Mix, edit, and invaluable guidance provided by Adam Lockwood. Support and encouragement from executive producer Lawrence Coletti. The music for this episode is licensed from Soundstripe.com. You can find more details about the music we used in the show notes of this episode. Special thanks to our guests, Josh McMillan, Walker Garrett, and Jonathan Amarillo for their time and assistance in exploring this unusual law. If you'd like to see some samples of Josh's work, head over to the show notes for this episode on LegalTalkNetwork.com or on the ABA Journal's Instagram account where we've posted a few selections of his art.